Using gerrymandering, voter suppression, and other nefarious tactics, the Republican Party has manipulated our electoral system to maintain as much control as possible despite being a party in the minority. Liberal Dan Radio seeks to change that, and I need your help in doing so. Liberal Dan Radio has partnered with Levelfield to help us use tools that are typically only available to big money donors. When you go to stopthecoup.liberaldan.com and make your contribution, it will encourage other voters to reach out to their legislators to pass legislation to stop gerrymandering and voter suppression and target elected officials who refuse to protect the vote. Every eligible voter should be able to cast a ballot, and that ballot should have the same power as everyone else. I can't do this alone. I need your help. So please go to stopthecoup.liberaldan.com and make your contribution today. That's stopthecoup.liberaldan.com. Stopthecoup.liberaldan.com. Political advertising paid for by Levelfield. Contributions are not tax deductible as charitable contributions. To join the conversation, the number is 914-803-4131. That is 914-803-4131. If you are listening live on the Blog Talk Radio uh, network on blogtalkradio.com slash liberal ban, if you sign in with your free blogtalkradio.com account, you can go to the episode page and join us in that chat room. And if you're watching live on YouTube at youtube.com, com slash liberal Dan radio you can also join the chat room there as well <clears throat> and if you're listening after the live broadcast you can always leave your comments questions concerns etc over on the show thread at liberaldan.com facebook.com slash liberal Dan at liberal Dan radio on twitter or the comment thread on youtube as well uh, the bottom half of the hour we're going to be inviting on a lawyer ken good uh, who had reached out and wanted to talk about uh, bail reform and um, charitable, charitable bail funds on the show. And I thought it was an interesting topic that needed to be covered. And uh, we're going to be hearing from both sides of the issue on this point. Um, we'll be hopefully talking to Mr. Good at the bottom half of the hour uh, about that topic. Um, I'm sorry that I, if you tuned in last week and I wasn't here, that's because I was feeling like a pile of hot garbage. <clears throat> my kid got sick and I thought I had, I thought I caught the Rona. I thought I got COVID. Uh, I did have an upper respiratory infection that went and became a lower respiratory infection. So if I cough a little bit during the show, I have uh, cough drops. I have a bunch of water to drink from to make sure that I can keep myself well hydrated and my uh, throat moist. Uh, but um, the cough is getting better. Um, it, it, it's reduced significantly since the weekend. And I'm, I got a little bit of hoarseness on, but I think I can power through it and do the show. Um, my son did test positive for COVID. He caught it at school. Uh, school has not yet turned, switched to everybody being required. City of New Orleans is requiring everybody to be vaccinated for COVID-19 in public schools uh, starting February 1st. So he has a, another week for that to take place. Um, but everybody else in my house 
tested negative. So either uh, we got that new stealth COVID, <clears throat> the stealth variant of Omicron that um, is maybe harder to detect on the tests, or maybe just we just happen to also get, maybe he also had an up, transmitted an upper respiratory infection to us on top of uh, the COVID. Um, maybe it was just a regular old flu that the flu shot didn't stop. Maybe it was another strain of the flu. So who knows? But I felt like garbage for the last week and it wasn't fun. And I'm, I'm, I've turned the corner. I, I think I'm doing better. Uh, so there's that. Um, so, so I'm back and hopefully I won't be too bogged down uh, with everything. Um, and hopefully I won't get too much of the uh, crazy coughs uh, like I was having over the week. I mean, I coughed pretty hard. I felt like I cracked my rib. That's how hard I coughed on Sunday. It was pretty bad. So, um, but I think I feel, I feel much better. So that that's always a good thing. So, and then everybody else in my house seems to be, and it's funny, my, my, my youngest son, the one who actually had tested positive for COVID, maybe it was a false positive. I don't know. Uh, those do happen as well, but he was, not really affected at all. Um, and I, I think I will uh, attribute that at least partially to the fact that he's fully vaccinated. So he's, he's protected. Uh, so he's not going to have the symptoms that someone else might have. Uh, so there you go. And they're always getting tested regularly. Um, have a, have a, the hypocrite of the week, which will be not the hypocrite of the week, the words of redneck wisdom, which will be uploaded during the commercial break, uh, does have an interesting topic about the testing, uh, segment because I'd called in last week or two weeks ago uh, to Jeff Carrere's show um, and uh, and asked them about why they have an issue with testing. Like, I, underst- I, I don't agree with them on vaccines, but I understand their disagreement with vaccines. Uh, I don't agree with them with masking. I understand, they're, I, I understand why they're opposed to masking. I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't think it's based on any sort of logic or reason, uh, but I understand the arguments. I don't understand the argument as to why they're opposed to testing. And well, uh, this week's words of redneck wisdom is going to let us all know uh, at least one individual, why she believes that uh, the testing is harmful uh, and why she is opposed to testing. And it's, and it's, and it's more than what she would probably just simply guess. Um, but speaking of Jeff, let's go ahead and play this week's hypocrite of the week before we get to anything else. This week's hypocrite of the week is Jeff Cruer, who claims to oppose gerrymandering, but on today's program said that Louisiana can't allow Democrats to have another seat, despite the map being drawn in such a way that denies Louisiana proper representation. To see if your state fails to represent its voters properly, go to stopthecoup.liberaldan.com. And to see who next week's hypocrite of the week will be, tune in to Liberal Dan Radio, Talk from the Left, That's Right, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on blogtalkradio.com slash liberaldan. And there you go. Yeah, he was talking about uh, the push in Louisiana to redistrict, um, and Governor Edwards is uh, wanting to make sure that Louisiana does have not only two Democratic districts, but two minority districts, and... Um, and he, Jeff Guerrero, was, was, was adamantly opposed to the idea because he don't want to give the Democrats additional seat, which is in direct opposition to much of his previous comments. Of course, he, he, he doesn't like the fact uh, that the first congressional district is drawn in such a way uh, that it, like, you know, it, 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 it just winds up the river and it's very oddly shaped. But the reason it's so oddly shaped is because they were shoved all the black voters into one district so that 
they could uh, shove all the black voters in one district so that so that they could reduce the power of the Democrats in the state. And that's the purpose for it. And then I cover I've, I've covered Louisiana. I, I haven't done any new ones recently because of, you know, a me being sick and some other issues uh, that I've been dealing with. But uh, we'll get back to making that, those series of videos soon. So if you go to stop the coup at liberaldan.com, you can support the effort. Uh, and, and so we can go and educate people as to which states do a good job of representing their voters uh, properly in Congress. And there are some blue states that don't do it well. There are some spread states that don't do it well. And, we'll, we'll, and you'll see, we'll see at the end of the day who has the overall net advantage uh, when it comes to that, when it comes to how many seats uh, they have an advantage well, based off of their population within the states. Um, uh, bringing boy mentions that California has problems, and uh, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you two things, uh, two spoilers about the California video, which will be the last video. Um, a, uh, whatever is happening in California, that, that uh, it basically, I think it cuts the Republican advantage in half. So whatever, so you'll get to California, you get to the right before California, you'll finish up Texas, I believe, and then you, uh, you the, like the Republicans will have like a 30 point, 30 seat lead, and California will cut that lead in half. So if it wasn't for California, the Republicans would have even more ridiculous advantage. California also has a bipartisan uh, faction where you have, I think, four, four Democrats, four Republicans, and four other people as part of the commission that's in charge of drawing the districts. So it's not a purely partisan map. Now, does California adequately represent the will of the people with that map? No, it doesn't. Um, but at the end of the day, California prevents the country from being even more lopsided than it already is. Um, so am I going to criticize California in and of itself for what it does? Sure. But I'm also going to look at it within the context of the fact that, uh, that it, it is, it may be the biggest state. So therefore it may have the, the, the biggest disproportionate uh, numbers when it comes to the seats. So it might be the biggest overall, you know, guilty party, when it comes to not representing its citizens properly, but overall the red states combined are combined much worse than all of the blue states combined. And that's going to be the overall point again, spoiler alert. So, um, there's bringing a boy. He says, try filters when you smoke your cigs. I, I, I don't smoke cig- cigarettes. So nope. Uh, I do not do, I haven't, I haven't smoked one in a very long time. So, um, well, we got, we got, not doing an official headlines this week, but some big news uh, coming out. Uh, I was listening to, again, listening to Jeff's show this morning, um, and, and they were talking about how he doesn't believe that there is a conservative majority on the court. He believes that there are three conservatives, three moderates, and three liberals on the court. doesn't think the court is conservative enough. And when he was talking about this, uh, I was basically going, man, Breyer just needs to resign. He needs to step down to allow Joe Biden to replace his, to replace him now because we don't need another what happened to Ruth Bader Ginsburg where she should have resigned during Obama's term and didn't, uh, especially when Obama had control of the Senate. Um, and then what happened? You know, hours later, uh, he announced that he is going to be resigning this term so that Joe Biden can replace him with a Democratic Senate. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's a short list of people that people assume are going to be on that list. 
Uh, one name that people tout that, that I think is off the list that MSNBC was trying to say uh, was uh, uh, Vice President Harris uh, as, as a possibility of, of being the replacement on the court, which would fit his criteria of, of his promise that he would appoint a black woman to the Supreme Court. Uh, it would be interesting, though, because if no Republicans go along with it, then it would be 50-50. What happens? Does she have to vote for herself to break the tie? That would be interesting. That would that would be crazy. Um, but let's see. Bringing up boys is, but he helps the numbers when a vote leans to the left. Who who helps the numbers when a vote leans to the left? What are you talking about? Um, anyway, so so I don't I don't think it's going to be Harris. It's, it's, I think that there are other people who are going to be presented and we'll go over the, 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 the nominations, the nomination when it happens. And I don't want to, I don't want to jump ahead of myself. Brewer. Yeah. Brewer is, Brewer is one of the leftists on on the Supreme court. Yes. He is part of the liberal, liberal wings. I don't don't know who you're talking about. Brenner. But yeah, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see that happening. Also, New Orleans Saints have lost their head coach. Sean Payton is resigned. Uh, he is retiring, at least at the moment. Uh, he's taking the year off, supposedly, uh, from coaching. He may want to do other things. He said he might come back to coaching at some point. Who knows for whom that might be or or when that might be. Uh, however, there's lots of Saints fans that are very distraught at the idea that, you know, we're going to suck again because we don't have Sean Payton, of course. When Dennis Allen had to take over for one for one of the games this season because Sean Payton had COVID nineteen, we beat Tom Brady in the Bucks. So they were, they were the reigning defending Super Bowl champions, and we beat them twice again this season, um, short staffed with our big defense. So I think if we can keep Dennis Allen and keep him, you know, in charge of this hard hitting defense, that we're always going to have a chance, uh, and hopefully we don't have as many. COVID issues, injury issues, and storm issues like we had this past year. Yeah. Yeah, Justice Brewer is stepping off the bench. Uh, So he is... uh, Breyer. I mean, Breyer is stepping off the the bench. Say Brewer, but Breyer. This is Breyer is stepping off the bench. Um... You had me confused with Brenner. You had me, you had me all discombobulated. Bringing boy, you can't do that when I'm fighting my sickness. I'm not I'm not 100 mentally. I guess I don't know. So let's see. Let's go ahead and take uh, the first commercial break. Uh, we'll come back. Uh, take your calls as well. Of course, at the bottom half of the hour, we're welcoming Ken Good on the program. Uh, 914-803-4131. That is 914-803-4131. This is Liberal Band Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. Are you planning a trip to Disney soon? Do you want help avoiding spending mistakes and making the most of your vacation? Then check out Budgeteers.com, a new site devoted to helping you get the most mouse for your money. 
What kinds of tickets should you get? Is the dining plan a good deal for you? Should you stay on grounds or not? Should you buy park hoppers? Many other sites are filled with information about what other people like to do. But Budgeteers is geared to help you make the best decision for you. So check out Budgeteers.com or go to YouTube.com slash Budgeteers and help make your trip the best it can be. Budgeteers.com is not a travel agency and it is not affiliated with the Disney Corporation or any of its holdings. World Gone Mad. One progressive will do a bad movie trailer guy impression to get you to listen to his show. There's only one thing that I like better than the Liberal Dan Radio minicast. Alright, Bill, that's enough of that. On the Liberal Dan Radio minicast, you will hear an honest discussion of the day's issues with some personal bits in between. You might even hear what the other side has to say. Sometimes even in their own voices. So become one of the Liberal Dan family, because family means no one gets left behind or forgotten. To hear those bad impressions and more, tune into the Liberal Dan Radio minicast. Talk from the left, that's right. And I think to myself, what a wonderful show. Mmm, yeah. If you enjoy Liberal Dan Radio, there's many ways that you can support the show. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can like me on Facebook or follow me on Twitter or TikTok. And you can become a Liberal Dan Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can get a shout-out. Higher levels get the opportunity to vote on what I do next on the podcast, the minicast, or on YouTube. You can even buy commercial advertising or sponsor bits. So go to patreon.liberaldan.com and support the show today. Hey there, podcast listeners. This is Deminox, host of The World According to Knox. It's time for Season 2, where I take you on another trip through my world. The world of movies, video games, pop culture, and more. Relate them to the world around you. Don't forget to leave a question for Marscat, and find me on Twitter by the handle xdeminox. Letter X like X-Men, D-E-M-I-N-O-X. Now enjoy the rest of your podcast. And welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio. It's Talk from the Left. That's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation is 914-803-4131. That's 914-803-4131. I do want to give a shout-out to uh, Deminox, the first Liberal Dan Radio patron. Uh, also, a big shout-out to Cesar over on California and your boy Chris for all being sponsors of uh, the Liberal Dan Radio podcast. Uh, they are going to be getting a su- uh, nice surprise in the mail soon. Uh, something that I haven't announced on the Patreon yet. Um, I don't know if I'm going to call, simply call them the Liberal Dan Radio OG Patreons, or or maybe I might call them the Liberal Dan Radio Master Debaters. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what we're going to go for, but they're going to have a nice surprise in the mail. And I'm going to keep that prize open uh, after I show it off uh, for a little bit. Maybe for until the end of the year, and and if and if people who become Patreons for over a year, you may very well get that surprise too. So if you if you want to get in on it before I close the door on it, go to patreon.liberaldan.com or patreon.com/liberaldan and support the show today. Also, shout out to my little brother, the host, most nimbus with the smooth sounds of the Percy Podcast. 
again, hoping he comes back on the air with that soon. And hopefully we are going to, at some point, form Voltron soon as well and have a, have a super show as well. Um, let's see. I'm failing. There we go. Failed to bring, bring something back up. Um, bringing a boy in the blog talk radio uh, chat wants to know who I'm, this is who I might be supporting when it comes to uh, the replacement of Briar. Um, and one of the people that uh, was being discussed is Ketanji Brown Jackson, uh, who is the circuit court judge in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Court. Um, and she's been there. Uh, and let's see, she was a district judge on the United States District Court for D.C., from 2013 to 2021. So she has experience as a judge. Uh, and she was just recently confirmed up to the uh, uh, circuit court, uh, up to the court of appeals. Um, and she did get a bipartisan vote. I think she got 53 votes when that happened. Um, very similar to what happened to Amy Coney Barrett. Um, and she also clerked uh, for Breyer. Uh, so she has that experience there, much like Kavanaugh uh, clerked for Kennedy uh, when uh, when before he got his nomination as well. So there's, there's definitely a foundation there uh, if Joe Biden wants to go ahead and support her. Or then I think a lot of people think that she may very well be one of the, of the people on the very short list that's there. Uh, Kitanji, K-E-T-A-N-J-I, Brown Jackson. Um, <clears throat> so that, that, that's how you spell her name. Uh, and so... Uh, so that, that is a potential somebody who might uh, be a potential replacement. Uh, and she's, she's, if you look up Justice Breyer and replacements, I'm sure her name is going to be seen as men, in many of the short lists that people are going to be posting up there. Um, so we'll see who Biden suggests. Biden, I say, is in a point in his presidency where he needs to get this done. This is one of the promises that he made that he would put a black woman on the bench because we haven't had one yet and representation does matter. And of course, uh, conservatives are probably going to be like, well, why does, she, why, why does her color matter? Uh, it's, it's not that it's not that specifically for her color, but there's not been a black woman on the bench and there have been many qualified people who could have been, but had not yet done so. So giving, giving a black woman the opportunity to serve on the bench is going to be a good thing. Um, again, as long as the person is qualified and from what I'm looking at from her experience as a judge, looks like she is qualified, uh, to sit on the bench and to hold that position. So we will see, and we will see, uh, if that happens and when that happens and how the vote goes down. Um, I'm not worried about McConnell as much because McConnell already has said, the Senate Republicans have already said, Hey, we're not supporting any Biden nominees. We're not doing it. We're, we're going to drag our feet like we do all the time and we'll, we'll, we'll make it so that the Democrats have, or liberals on the court have even smaller minority if we can help it. Um, so really the only person I think that I'd have to worry about, I'm not even worried about cinema in this case. I think cinema will do the right thing. I think cinema will support the nominee. Um, her, I, I don't think she's going to stop. I, it's just Manchin. Manchin's the problem. And we'll see if Manchin ends up being a problem or not. So anyway, so we were talking about COVID before the break, um, and I had, again, I had called in to the Jeff Carrera show on the 11th uh, and basically said, hey, um, I understand 
your issues with vaccines. I don't agree with them, but I understand not wanting to get the kids vaccinated. Um, I don't agree with your science. I don't agree with your conclusions, but I understand your arguments. I understand your argument against masking. I don't agree with it. I don't think it's sound based in any sort of sound principles, but I understand it. And I don't understand, and I can't figure out why they're opposed to tests, to simply testing kids in school for COVID. And the answer I got, woo. I, well, I mean, I, I don't see the point in needing to test children for, again, something that, you know, the survival, I mean, they're going to catch a cold. One of the number one, you know, killers of children under five is pneumonia. Are we going through all this, you know, hugabaloo for pneumonia, which is, you know, spread the, the same way as the China virus? No, we're not. So this is not about the safety of our children. This is, this is just warning that the test... It's about control. It's about um, it's about all of it. And, and honestly, you may think I have a tinfoil hat on, but I have a feeling that they're also putting things on the swab of the test to make sure that the graphene oxide and other things that are in the vaccine are getting spread to our children regardless. And this concludes Words of Redneck Wisdom, brought to you by Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. And there you go. So... <clears throat> She's worried. Oh, I still have music to fade out of. Um, so we can we can play the music a little longer. Anyway, so it's about control. A. So you would expect. Okay, it's about control. That that I understand that argument that they make. It's about control, and they're feared about control. But then, then it's. You know, then she talks about pneumonia, and we'll be talking about pneumonia in a second again because we've been covering pneumonia um, for this, and we, it looks like we do have Ken on the on the phone, so we're, we'll go to Ken in a second. Um, but we'll take the commercial break soon, and then we'll come out of break and we'll talk to Ken. Um, but the other thing is that the graphene oxide that she claims is in the virus, and so she thinks that there's something in the swab that's going to help the graphene oxide in the vaccine take hold. So even if you're not vaccinating, you know, if you're not vaccinating, then why are you worried about what's in the swab that might help the so-called graphene oxide? But guess what? The whole thing about the graphene oxide, I've covered this on the show before as well, that it's a myth. It, it, it's something that one, it's not even a study. One person claimed to have found graphene oxide, I think in one used vial of the COVID-19 vaccine it wasn't peer-reviewed, and who knows who might have tainted that that sample. So, just it's bizarre. Yes, I need to go invest in Reynolds Wrap because the amount of aluminum foil uh, that has taken place. Now, um, to beat this dead horse, and maybe this will be the last week that we beat this dead horse, um, because again, the week of Christmas, we had brought up, we had brought up uh, that that the cases were going down of COVID deaths. Uh, that they were going down because uh, our friends out in California, um, bringing a boy um, and his wife, you know, they were they're, they're bringing this to my attention. And I was like, well, I think we need more numbers to come in. I don't think all of the numbers are in yet. Um, so, and so we, we're now a month later and in 
tw- the, the data as of 1229 uh, was that at the week ending at 1225, we had 1,646 deaths, all COVID deaths involving COVID-19, was, again, was, was 1,646. Now, for the week ending 1225-2021, uh, those deaths have now gone up to 9,342. So we've gained even more, I think even more than I predicted we would gain in those past weeks. Um, and we've gotten up to, if you look at the same numbers, deaths involved COVID-19 and pneumonia was 5,500. Deaths involving pneumonia without COVID-19 was about 8,500. So basically about 3,000 deaths that week for pneumonia, just plain pneumonia, and then another 5,500 deaths from COVID-19 that were deaths that, that basically were the COVID-19 and the pneumonia were both present in the body, which means that COVID-19, again, is causing more pneumonia than what so So when Michelle, the person who was talking on Words of Redneck Wisdom, wants to talk about, um, you know, are we worried about pneumonia? Yes, we're worried about pneumonia. We're worried about the fact that COVID-19 seems to be having at least a correlation with increased pneumonia deaths based off of what the standard pneumonia deaths were, weekly pneumonia deaths before COVID-19 took place. Three to 4,000 weekly pneumonia deaths was your average of what happened, caused by various reasons. You know, sometimes pneumonia deaths are caused by viruses. Sometimes pneumonia deaths are caused by bacteria. Sometimes pneumonia deaths are caused by fungus or mold or something else, maybe even allergies. There's lots of different reasons that you can get pneumonia, but it's clear that there are many, many more cases of pneumonia now simply because of COVID-19. So I think we hope we should take that into consideration. Um, and maybe this will be the last week I beat the dead horse. I don't know. Or maybe I'll have someone, to talk, someone on to talk about pneumonia and COVID-19. We will see. Um, but let's go ahead and take the next commercial break. And once we come out of the commercial break, we will be talking with uh, Ken Good. Um, about uh, charitable bail funds, bail bails, bail bonds, etc. This is Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. host of the Percy Podcast. What is the Percy Podcast? <laughs> well, it's pretty much the smoothest talking host you'll ever hear in your life talking about all kinds of things, political things, nerdy things, fun things, not so fun things. Go ahead, give a listen, and follow at the Percy Podcast for more updates and information. Why not sit back and take a listen to one of the best podcasts you'll ever hear and no one else will? <laughs> Catch you on the tune. Do you want to set money aside for a rainy day? Do you want to open an account that will give you a savings bonus each month? What if I told you that you can get both and have a chance to win $10 million? Yada is an FDIC-insured bank, and when you go to yada.liberaldan.com, open an account, and make your first deposit, you will get 100 entries into the next weekly drawing. You will also get entries each week you have a balance. 
So go to yada.liberaldan.com. That's Y-O-T-T-A dot Using gerrymandering, voter suppression, and other nefarious tactics, the Republican Party has manipulated our electoral system to maintain as much control as possible despite being a party in the minority. Liberal Dan Radio seeks to change that, and I need your help in doing so. Liberal Dan Radio has partnered with Levelfield to help us use tools that are typically only available to big money donors. When you go to stopthecoup.liberaldan.com and make your contribution, it will encourage other voters to reach out to their legislators to pass legislation to stop gerrymandering and voter suppression and target elected officials who refuse to protect the vote. Every eligible voter should be able to cast a ballot, and that ballot should have the same power as everyone else. I can't do this alone. I need your help. So please go to stopthecoup.liberaldan.com and make your contribution today. That's stopthecoup.liberaldan.com. Stopthecoup.liberaldan.com. Political advertising paid for by Level Field. Contributions are not tax deductible as charitable contributions. And welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, I would say to join the conversation, it's 914-803-4131, but we're probably not going to take too many calls. I would suggest that if you do have a question for our guests, join us over either in the blogtalkradio.com chat. Go to blogtalkradio.com slash liberaldan. Sign in with your free blogtalkradio.com account. Go to the episode page, and you can join the chat room there. Or you can go to the YouTube chat, youtube.com slash radio. Go to the uh, live stream right now, and you can join us in the live chat, and you can leave your questions there as well. And I will try and get uh, the answers to Ken as well. Ken Good is on the board of directors of the Professional Bondsman of Texas. Uh, he graduated from Hardin-Simmons University in 1982 with a Bachelor's of Arts degree. He received a Master of Education degree in 1986 from Tarleton State University, part of the Texas A&M system. In 1989, he received his law degree from Texas Tech School of Law, where he was a member of the Texas Tech Law Review. Mr. Good has argued cases before the Supreme Court of Texas and the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, along with numerous courts of appeals, including the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. He is the author of Goods on Bail, a practice guide created for bail industry professionals. In addition, he has written numerous articles on the subject of bail reform, including what successful bail reform looks like. Mr. Good is married and has two daughters, and I'd like to say welcome, uh, Mr. Good, uh, on the show. Thank you very much for calling in, um, and it's definitely going to be an interesting topic that I'm looking forward to discussing. Well, thank you for having me. I, I, I would say after you go through the years and everything, I, sh- I realize how old I am all of a sudden, and I <laughs> feel much older than that. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, there there are things that'll happen that'll make you feel old. Like, for example, this this uh, past December, my uh, my oldest son turned thirteen, and I'm like, oh, I have a teenager now. Uh, uh, so <laughs> you have you. Well, I was older when I got married, and so my kids are still young. I have uh, my oldest is a junior in high school, but I have uh, younger sisters and an older brother that have kids who are twice the age of my children. So yeah, my oh, wow. children make me feel young. <laughs> yeah. So but let's see, a brief 20,000-foot view of the topic at hand, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on anything. So everyone has sure. likely heard of bail, uh, which is the amount of money that a defendant must pay uh, to post to re- be released from custody until their trial. Uh, if a defendant can post bail, 
it gets returned to them if they attend all of their required hearings and trials. If they can't post bail, then they'll have to wait uh, in jail until their court date. Uh, some people can get a bail bond, uh, which, depending on the state, could cost 10% or more up front. The bail bond company typically keeps that money for assuming the risk of putting up the rest of the bail for the defendant and assumes the responsibility for making sure that they end up in court. Um, and there is a movement in this country to end cash bail, and some organizations that are fighting that fight are also collecting money to help pay bail for individuals who can't afford it for themselves. Um, some of the people released by these funds, however, um, paid for by these activists, have turned around and committed more crimes. Uh, some of the notable, notable cases are Donata Williams uh, was arrested for burglary, and a 25000 bond was set. Uh, the bail project reduced, got that reduced to $750 and then paid it. And then Williams allegedly lured two Indianapolis police to his house and stabbed them. Uh, Marcus Garvin was charged in a stabbing incident at a gas station. The bail project paid his bail and was, he was released on GPS monitoring when he then cut off his ankle monitor and murdered his girlfriend. And those previous two stories I found on wishtv.com. And maybe the most notable case is Daryl Brooks. Uh, Brooks was initially freed from jail for a $1,000 bail after being accused of running over the mother of his child in his Ford Escape. While nobody can answer why his bail was set so low, uh, after Brooks was then accused of killing six people by running them over at the Wisconsin Christmas Parade, a GoFundMe was started to post his bail, which GoFundMe stopped. A second GoFundMe was started to fund the bail fund. Um, it didn't say that it was specifically would be required to free Brooks, but it was the same amount of money that would be required to free Brooks. Um, that bail, that GoFundMe was also taken down. So I guess my question to you, first of all, are these cases representative of a larger problem with bail funds, or are they outliers? Uh, I think they are endemic of a larger problem. But let me say thank you for letting me come uh, on your on your uh, uh, your show. I enjoy talking to uh, people about these issues, and uh, I don't mind ask, answering tough questions. But I think this is endemic. Are these examples are endemic of a larger problem because these uh, bail funds are a solution uh, looking for a problem. They they raise large funds uh, sums of money on the premise that these protests that happened in the summer of 2020 were good, they were going to need lo- lots of money to bail people out and all those people were released on no bond and their cr- charges were uh, dismissed and so now they have all these sums of money and uh, it was intended to use for one purpose that never happened. So now they're looking for other places to put that money and they're finding just like the private industry that jails full of a lot of dangerous people and the low level people, they're not in jail anymore. They're not stuck in jail. And so they're, they're continuing. So they're doing uh, what they're not trained to do. They're bailing out dangerous people. Okay. So one thing I did listen to the um, on your blog um, I listened to the Bell Post prod- podcast that had been posted, and that, that talked about the topic of charitable bonds. Um, and it has said, again, it made the same point that bail funds were started to, as a justification to raise funds for low-level crimes. But according to one of the guests, they said typically low-level crimes are uh, rec- released on either on their own recognizance or on personal recognizance bonds, which basically means, if I'm correct, that they let them out, but you only have to pay if you don't show up. Is that right? You're let out in your own promise that to appear, and you only have to pay if you don't show up. Okay, but, but according to the American Bar Association website, 75% of pretrial de- detainees uh, have, be, are, have been charged that are in the jail right now 
uh, have been charged with drug or property crimes. So they're not violent criminals per se, um, but they are, they might not be like the, you know, people who are, you know, out, you know, for violating a curfew or something or, or, you know, something that's also minor, but there are also many people who are sitting in pretrial detain, pretrial, pretrial detention uh, who ha- who ha- either don't have bond or can't pay their bond. Um, and it's not because they're violent criminals, but they have other crimes that are not drug or property. So, so is there still low level? So it seems that at least according to the American Bar Association, there's a lot of low level people that are still in jail that still could potentially use these funds um, that still could potentially need help. Uh, no, I don't agree with that. And uh, let me make two or three points. I think those are old numbers. Uh, those are numbers pre uh, uh, the Bell Reform Movement, because I, uh, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Texas has argued before the Texas legislature at least three different sessions, and in Texas they only meet every two years, so that's for the last six years, and he's been using the same number, and I know the number has been going down as a result of, 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 of the changes that have been made and, and just the pressure on judges to release more people, especially during the pandemic. I, the second point I would make is I think it was also made on the podcast that you mentioned from the, the Bell Post is, you know, uh, there's this argument that uh, these uh, charitable bail funds are, are hurting the bail industry's business. And that's the reason why uh, we're calling or we're questioning what they're doing. That's not really true. I mean, they're bonding out people who would not otherwise get out of jail. And they're actually finding that those are the dangerous people. Those are the people that really should be in jail. And so they're not affecting our business very much at all because they're bonding out people that we're not getting calls on because the family doesn't want to help them because they've already uh, used up the goodwill of the family and because they are career criminals. And you beat me maybe to one of my questions that I was going to ask later, but we can talk a little bit more about that, um, about, I guess, the perception that, that might exist there. Um, in, in the email that was when it was when the individual reached out about the potential being on the show, you have um, – was pointed out that, 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 you, that maybe there there are distinctions that can be made like between like the bail project you know the one now I was not able to find a, a direct link between the bail project and um, like Brooke, was it Brooks yeah and Brooks like I think people were trying to in support of Brooks were trying to raise money for the bail project but I couldn't find a, a link from directly from the bail project to Brooks but there was the bail project did get Donata Williams out Marcus Garvin out um, so. Versus something like uh, with something which is I guess formerly called the Brooklyn Freedom Fund, which is now the Envision Freedom Fund. Are there differences between these um, between these funds? Um, are some of them better than others, in your opinion? Well, uh, you know, I, I, I think that probably would depend on on the, the various funds and uh, where they're located and, and what their purpose is. You know, the Bell Project has has its stated goal to end cash bail, which is kind of interesting. It's a a nonprofit charitable organization that helps poor people, but its, it's stated goal is to end uh, cash bail, where it doesn't have the ability or the resources to take our place. So, really, it, you know, that's a, an example of the bigger problem. You know, people don't like cash bail; they want to get rid of cash bail, but there's nothing that has ever worked that has uh, that's been proven that. Uh, to take its place. And that's what we're seeing in these bail reform movements across the country where, you know, they, New York tries simple release. Oh, we don't need bonds and we'll just simply release people. Well, and that 
causes people not to show up for court, and that causes crime to increase because they see it as a green light. And you see people standing on the courthouse steps saying, I've been released 85 times for bail reform. I love bail reform in New York. And then you see it in Harris County, too, where the DA issues a report saying that misdemeanor bail reform has caused crime to increase. And it's because they don't have anything that has, that's known to have worked or been proven to work to replace us with. They just keep saying we got to get rid of them. And everything that they do to, to try to, uh, to replace it just makes the system completely worse. That's the reason why the bail industry has been around for 200 years. We do one thing and we do it well. But the bail industry initially started off as more of like I think is it is it not true that that when bail started that they started and it was basically pretty much all like PR type bonds like they all were basically no. like you were let out okay no when you when bail started in the United States it was uh, when you bailed someone out if they didn't show up for court you took their place so it was I mean it was a much more severe consequence. Uh, you know, 200 years ago, if you spoke up for somebody and you got them out of jail, then they didn't show up. You took their place. And we, we don't, thank goodness we don't have that anymore because nobody well, would sure. get out of jail. I mean, I mean, and, you know, the problem is, you know, what we have is how do we process large numbers of people through the uh, county jail in our urban areas? If you, if you take a step back, that's the huge problem that nobody can find a solution for because we have, uh, in our urban areas, we have schools that failed, families that have failed, drugs are just running rampant, there's no jobs, and also went through the protests, the fires, businesses, you know, some of those are not coming back, so there's even less jobs. And so now, what do we do with them when we get them in the criminal justice system? Sometimes that's their last opportunity to become productive citizens, and we're just letting them down with, on that phrase as well. And so historically, how have we done it? Individual magistration always works. It's constitutional. And uh, using a bail schedule is what the courts have been looking at for the last few years. And that's what Harris County is focused on. And now we're going through this period of simple release, which has been a fiasco everywhere it's been tried. And so that's really the problem. How do we process large numbers of people through our jails and the, in the urban areas? And that's the problem that our elected officials just can't seem to fix. And it's become now hyper-politicized. And so we have these groups like, you know, charitable bail and just, uh, funds that are coming in to try to assist. But then we, uh, we're we hyper-politicizing them as well, where we have the bail project who, I mean, it's an admirable goal to want to help people, but it doesn't fit with that mentality to say, well, we want to get rid of cash bail as well. I mean, we should all be working together if that's truly your goal. But I think the, the bail project specifically has, you know, has been on the record as saying that, you know, they kind of want to stir things up. And they don't mind. They stand by work, their work when they get uh, dangerous people out of jail and they commit further crimes. So uh, I, I think I question the motives of the Bell Project especially. Now, when you say like some, some I think in Harris County they had something like simple release, like like where you just, people would just be released, I guess, with no bail. It, would this be all criminals or all people? I guess I don't even want to say all criminals because many of these people have not yet been convicted of a crime yet. Sure. They're waiting for uh, to be to be set, um, tried and potentially convicted of a crime, but many of them have not been convicted yet. Um, are, are they releasing all types of crimes, like violent and nonviolent, or are they are you know, how is how does that, how does that figured out? I guess in, in what you've dealt with when when they just release the people in Harris County, it, it works for misdemeanor courts uh, and misdemeanor charges. All misdemeanors except for seven charges that are on a specific list. 
get released on a $100 PR bond and they never see a magistrate. And that's part of the problem. No one is looking at their criminal history. No one is looking to see if these are career criminals, gangs, gang members, or organized crime members. And, in fact, it's so bad that the legislature has come in and passed a new law that requires, as of April the 1st, that you have to review criminal history before you can, uh, before you can release somebody. So the way Harris County is doing simple release is if it's a misdemeanor and it's not on the, this list of seven charges, you get released on a $100 PR bond. You never see a judge. There's no gatekeeper, and you're just out of jail. No and matter how many wait, times you commit that crime. So, like, somebody could – now, are there you – know, so, let's say – so, somebody – let's say it's like a, like a drug charge. Someone might, like, get, like, a possession of, like, marijuana or something, and, and then they get caught with that. They give them a $100 PR bond, and then, like, they don't show back up again, and then they get caught with marijuana again, and then they get another $100 PR bond. Like, is it is it, like, those type of criminals that are being let go, or are they, like – getting out on like a marijuana charge, for example, and then like going to commit some other more dangerous crime. No, the marijuana charges are not being prosecuted anymore. And those charges, I think either they're not, uh, Harris County is no longer prosecuting those, or if they are, they're giving them a citation. And if they go uh, uh, to a class, then uh, their their ticket or their uh, case is dismissed. But for the most part, marijuana charges are not being prosecuted in Harris County anymore. And that's part of my criticism of what's going on. You've got, uh, you know, Harris County that's not prosecuting certain crimes and then right next door to it, either, you know, uh, Brazoria County or Montgomery County is. And so I think that just undermines the criminal justice system uh, overall because criminals see this uh, uneven prosecution of crimes or disproportionate prosecution of crimes and, and so it just undermines the system and all now i understand why they do it they want to set priorities but the real, real reality goes back to the original problem how do you process large numbers of people through the jail and handle large numbers of cases and so they're electing not to prosecute certain crimes i understand that uh well my, my point uh, my point though let me if i may interrupt my point more was less about sure. the specific crime of marijuana but like so i'm just like Something yeah. something that might be a crime that's not like a danger to other people, but something that might be a small, like small, low level crime, you know, that that's not a violent crime. Yeah. You're like, yeah. are, 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 they, are they like whatever, whatever, like give me an example of a crime that would get a hundred dollar personal reconnaissance. Like give me, what, what would be an example well, of one that would get, <clears throat> um, you know, misdemeanor, misdemeanor theft. And as long as you commit a misdemeanor theft over and over and over, then you're just going to get released on a hundred dollar PR bond because you've never seen a magistrate. Nobody's ever seen your criminal record. Uh, the problem is the recidivism. You know, the DA issued a report saying that there is a high level of recidivism, and that you know, as long as as long as you have this revolving door, you know, the career criminals or the you know uh, organized crime or you know gang members see this as a green light. Hey, I don't have any consequences, so I'm just going to keep doing this, and it's going to build. They're going to get more arrogant and they start committing more crimes but, you know in Harris County they have a list of 158 people or more than 150 people who have been who, who have been killed by somebody who was out on multiple PR bonds or multiple low bonds and some of them there's multiple cases where they were already out on bond for capital murder and they could kill somebody else and I question why we're letting someone who's accused of capital murder out of jail and then I really question why we're laying them out to kill uh, again. Well, that would bring me like later. I think Arizona, if I'm correct, has a potential uh, ballot initiative up, which would end cash bail. 
<clears throat> but would basically say, like, if you have certain crimes that are violent crimes, like murder, rape, uh, child molestation, that sort of thing, like, those people would not be able to be let out, while people with lower-level crimes would always be let out. <clears throat> what do you feel about, like, those types well, but of, you know, of... Well, I mean, that's really a transition to the federal system for, uh, for bail. It's either release or detain. But the problem is the federal system has a 70% detention and, you know, if we applied that to Arizona or Texas, I mean, they don't – they're not going to spend enough money to detain 70% of the people they arrested. And so I don't think it's workable for the, on the state level. Uh, I, I don't know if they have actually passed whether they're going to have a ballot initiative. I did know that there was a chance that they would let their voters vote on it. Uh, I, I know uh, law enforcement press uh, is in favor of that because they want more people detained. But the problem is I think that leads to chaos. Because, really, you know, we all want to detain the dangerous people. We all want to let the people that are not dangerous go. But the problem is, how do you predict which one's which? I mean, we've had this whole thing for the last few years about a risk assessment. That's been debunked. The sciences don't use it. And, and we still have people pushing it today. But if we could have a crystal ball that could tell us who the dangerous people are and who are not, then we would know who to detain. But we don't. And so we have to just draw the line and, and, hope, and, and hope and pray for the best. And we have to set in uh, protections. The problem that we have is the opposite. We're wanting to put in protections for the poor, which are tying the hands of the judges, so they can't even do anything against organized crime, you know, or career criminals. And then, you know, I, I was having a conversation with someone today that was very similar to what you were saying. Well, it's just a property crime. Those aren't dangerous people. And I'm like, you know, we've heard that for several years now. Well, we just want to put in jail the people we're scared of, not the people we're mad at. Well, you know what? Career criminals are hearing that, and they're like, they're saying, I can make you pretty mad, and I can still not go to jail. No, we, that's what's causing these problems. That's why California is having endemic uh, crime is because they've decriminalized crime below 950 bucks, and people are seeing that and say, hey, I can get away with crime. I can get away with every day, and you see stores closing in San Francisco because they have $25,000 of of, of shoplifting a day and they can't afford that they can't afford to operate in that environment and so we we can't just say oh this is a property crime it's no biggie we're just you know that's that's not that's nothing no that's something we're we're we've given all these people a green light and and if we don't stop that then our country our our society is just going to get more and more chaotic we and we have to figure out a way to address these things I, and i definitely don't agree with with just basically saying you know <clears throat> theft is okay. Like, like I don't want to ever give the message that theft is okay. Um, what about the argument though? Like you brought up the, 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 the poverty argument. Um, a lot of people will make the argument a, that, um, that a bail system disproportionately harms poorer people than, you know, if you're a wealthy person, you commit the same crime as a poor person and you get ba- a wealthy person might be able to pay the bail. No problem. Can continue on with their life while waiting for the trial to take place. Meanwhile, a poor person might have to sit in jail for days, weeks, months, maybe even, you know, however many long it's going to take for the trial to start uh, if they can't afford. Um, so, so somebody who hasn't been proven guilty in a court of law, um, they can't earn money because they're, they, they're stuck in jail, so they can't pay money to support their families uh, while they're waiting for the trials to be heard. Um, and then um, according to uh, 
Vera Institute study, people detained for longer periods of time are more likely to be convicted. Uh, they're more likely to receive harsher sentences than people who can either pay bail or are never forced to pay bail. And recidivism rates are also higher among those people. So what would you say about, about those arguments? Okay, I, I you know I, I have very little respect for the Vera Institute. I think they're wrong more than they're right. And when they're right, they harm the uh, criminal justice system more than they help it. And let me just give you one example. They're, they they came on they went on the record saying, well, any criminal justice reform is going to create a system of a forty percent failure to appear rate, and that should be okay. A 40% failure to appear rate will shut down any criminal justice system. Could you imagine you have 1,000 cases set on a week and 400 fail to appear? That means 400 cases have to be set on hold. And then you go to the next week, you have 1,000 new cases, and you still got the 400 from last week. So you got 1,400 cases. And it just steamrolls every week. And so you get higher and higher backlogs. So I don't have a very high opinion of the Vera Institute. On your other, on your basic argument about poverty, I, I would say. Let's, let's say the longer uh, criminal sentence. Career criminals are more likely to be in jail longer. Career criminals are people who are more likely to commit crime. Career criminals who are in jail longer because they have a higher bond are going to have more recidivism because they're career criminals. But you look at the Beer Institute and they're like, oh, people who are in jail longer are going to be hurt more. Yes, because they're career criminals. They're more likely to be career criminals. I don't agree that first-time offenders who have a job are stuck in jail. I just don't believe that. I, I, I think that is a myth. I think that especially during this time, that is just not true. And uh, I would say that the basic argument on, on whether somebody's poor, we need, we need protections for the poor. But what are those protections? I don't think the Constitution has a right to release. The, the Constitution has a right to a hearing. And, you know, the, the basic argument that we keep hearing from the other side is poor people should not be stuck in jail. There's not a right to release. The Fifth Circuit has ruled that you, there's no right to release from jail. There's a right to a hearing. Uh, ability to pay is only one consideration. So if I look at you and you have a criminal history, liberal Dan, and you have, you know, th four priors in the last five years, your bond's going to be higher. I don't care – what your ability to pay is your bond's going to be higher. And if I set it because of your criminal history and you can't pay it, well, then you, the constitutional requirements have been met. And you don't, you don't, if you can't afford it, then you're stuck in jail. And it's because of your criminal history, not because of your ability to pay. Our friends on the other side would say that's not right and that should violate the Constitution. And that's the fallacy. That's where that just blows up the entire criminal justice system. If we can't hold somebody in jail who's a danger to the community, and that's where they're wrong, and that's where they misrepresent the law, and that's where it's just it's ridiculous that we can't agree on what the law is even. Well, the Fifth Circuit is is probably one of the most is is probably one of the most, if not the most, conservative ones in the in the in the country. Um, but you know and. And I, you know, I understand the argument of, of, you know, there's no right to be released or whatever. There, there's a right to have a hearing, um, but there's like there are cases and, and individual cases, you know, are are not necessarily proof. They they might be, you know, anecdotal. Um, but I was reading some of the cases, like some local New Orleans cases, where you had, um, I think it was on the Vera Institute website, but it was, you know, it was, there was, I guess, there's a branch here in New Orleans. Um, so I was looking at some of the local people and, and, and who were telling their own stories. 
And like one of them was like, the guy was like, okay, I didn't have any money. I couldn't really afford anything. So instead of, instead of dealing with, you know, trying to sit in jail and, and having to fight this for days, weeks, months, however long it was going to take for the trial to be adjudicated, he just copped the plea. Uh, so basically, yeah, fine, I'll cop a plea, uh, I'll, I'll admit to, to, to doing this so I can get on with my life. But then, okay, so he cops the plea because he can't afford, you know, to, 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 to wait, and he can't afford to sit in jail and, and to do it because he has to take care of his family. Well, now, what happens if he gets arrested another time for something else that, you know, he, maybe, he didn't, maybe he did do, maybe he didn't do, I don't know. But, oh, now he has a previous record because he pleaded probably guilty of something else. So... The, the cycle to me, at least there, there's, there's some issues that with poverty that, you know, poverty just kind of tends to breed <clears throat> crime in and of itself. And, and, and so people who, who have less money have less access to, to fair trials. And I would say that we, we, not only do we have a right to have a hearing, we have a right to fair hearings, right, in the Constitution? Sure. I mean, I agree with what you're saying to a certain extent. I mean, when, the problem I have is when people say this is not fair. Well, my, I disagree with that. It is the fairest system in the world. Can it be improved? Do we need to tweak it? Absolutely. We always look to improve it. But we don't want to set up a system on the pretext that we want to protect the poor that then ties the hands of the judges. They can't do anything about career criminals, gangs, or organized crime. And that's the problem with the latest wave of bail reform, we're, like in New York. No, you're, you're, we're going to require the judge to release somebody on no bond if they're charged with a certain list of crimes, no matter how many times they've been charged with that. You can't take into consideration their criminal history. In Harris County, the same thing. And so we're tying, on the pretext of protecting the poor, we're tying the hands of the judges so public safety is sacrificed. And I think, so we're drawing the line in the wrong place. And we have to reevaluate what we're doing. And I think the lesson for the last two years is public safety has to come first. And then we have to look at what we're doing to make it better. So, but should should there be any sort of like, all right, so let's say, like, should there be any sort of consideration as to how much the, how much the amount of bail is set? Uh, would have an impact on a person. So where like an individual who, you know, might be in poverty, might get, might have a certain bail number, but a person who's like wealthy, who commits the same crime might have a higher amount of bail because, you know, to, to, because it's going to, because it'll make it, because somebody has, if somebody's rich and, and can pay the, pay the bail off that, that, that they've, that they've been assessed, you know, that, that, that doesn't necessarily, you know, it, it's a different burden, I guess. So, like, do you believe well, but, in any sort of? I, you know, but what you're saying is, let's treat everybody the same. And I, I don't look at it that way. What I look at it is, we let's just use a random number. Harris County, they they arrest on average a thousand people a week at, at one point in time. So I look at it as the magistrates have a thousand people to work through the jail. And so, if I can divert people away from magistration based on their criminal history. So if you're a first-time offender for this crime, here's what your bond is. If you're a second-time offender or you have been arrested more than that, here's what your bond is. And I can divert divert away from magistration all the people who can afford to post that bond pursuant to a bail schedule. Then the magistrate has all this extra time 
to look at people and say, okay, you're claiming that you're poor, and let's talk about this. I mean, if we don't divert people away from magistration and we're dealing with a thousand people a week or more, then the magistrates don't – I mean, it's just chaos. The magistrates have very little time. They can't differentiate between anybody, let alone criminal histories. And so it's just what we're getting, chaos. And so what we're looking at it in the wrong way. We have to divert as many people away from magistration as can afford it so we can spend what limited time we have, what limited resources we have on allowing the magistrates to use their discretion on the people who are left who are saying, I can't afford that amount. And so they can look at them and they can have a hearing and they can make the determinations that you're, you're suggesting and I'm agreeing should be made. I'm just saying we can't do, I mean, we can't treat everybody the, the same way. We have to divert people away. And then when everyone gets to their initial appearance, then the court can reevaluate and say, do we need a higher bond for you? But I mean, we've got to divert people away from administration. This, this concept that we have to treat everybody the same is what's creating this problem in our urban areas because this political correctness is preventing us from diverting people away from magistrate except by simple release, which is the problem right now. Now, when you say treating people the same, same, well, like when you say treating people the same, like I don't necessarily think you should treat everyone the same in that, you know, like if somebody's, somebody's, somebody's having a bail or set for, um, for, um, I don't know, like some low-level crime. I don't want to, whatever low-level crime is, the versus murder. Like, I don't think they should assault. be treated the same. Let's just say two assaults. Let's say, yeah. Well, Let's but but if, you have two two assaults. if you have two assaults or two rapes, you know, you know, I don't, I don't think that, you know, you know, is it, is it, is it, is it a problem in the overall justice system that, you know, you might have a poorer person you know, they have to, they go through the, they go through, I think all rapists should be punished severely under the law, but you have, you know, what's his face, the swimmer guy, um, the the one that like sexually assaulted the young, the victim behind the dumpster or whatever, um, who, who pled and sure. like, I forget his name. Yeah. I'm forgetting his name, you know, but you know, what I'm talking about. I do, like, I do, I do. Like, like he was able but, to, you know, see, get I off did. in the system. He was able to get off in a system because he had the money to get off in a system. Whereas, well, I'm sure, I'm sure he was able the to. Judge said he had a, the judge said he had a bright future. But I think I'm kind of sensing that you and I would agree that a, someone with a criminal history of doing this same crime before should be treated differently no matter their ability to pay versus a first-time offender. I think you and I would agree on that. Well, I would think nonviolent first-time offenders, like if we're going to keep – all sorts of options of bail available. Like I would think like a, a PR bond would be, would be a reasonable thing for a first time offender. If, if somebody who has no history well, I, of, uh, as well, long as, as long as it's not a severe enough bond, of a crime. Well, a low bond or a PR bond for a first time offender. I mean, I'm, we're not going to have any, I mean, what I, the point I'm trying to make is you've got two people. They're both, one is rich and, and the other is poor. One of them has a substantial criminal history for whatever reason, and the other one does not. I think we should be able to agree that the first-time offender should have a lower bond than the, the other person who has a substantial criminal history, and that is completely separate and apart from their ability to pay. Sure. I, I can agree on that. I, I, I can agree that that, so that, that... whether Whether the first-time offender is the person who has money, 
that doesn't change the fact it should be a low bond. And if the uh, first time offender is the one that ha- I mean, the one with the substantial criminal history has money, then it should be a higher bond. But the same is also true if the person is claiming poverty. Uh, to me, the, the most important part of setting bail is criminal history. The Texas legislature just passed, and it goes into effect in April, on April 1st, a requirement that judges must review criminal histories before setting bail. I think that is the number one uh, uh, most important bail reform item that, that, that we've seen in Texas in the latest round of bail reform. And I think we, you will find that if, if judges would look at criminal histories, that would be the determinative of, of bail more than anything else. And I think this, this argument about poverty is one of the elements that to be taken into consideration, but it is overshadowed by your criminal history and should be. I mean, I, I, I think it's fair to say, I, I, I think that on certain parts that we agree on that, that, that if, that if somebody like, yeah, like if I'm, if I'm, if you're going to sit there and say somebody just keeps doing the same thing over and over again, and you know, you sure. like what Einstein said, if you, know, you can't do the same thing over and over again, expect a different result. So if somebody skips bail three times, you don't expect them that they're going to not skip bail the fourth time. So I think it's it's worse than that. It's worse than that right now. In Harris County, there's an 80-year-old woman who was killed in the parking lot of Walgreens. And the guy that killed her was 30-something years old. He had a criminal history of being arrested over 70 times. And at the time he killed this woman, he was out on two felony PR bonds. That guy should have never been out of jail. And uh, at 35, have a criminal history of being arrested over 70 times. This, this is what we're saying, and we and the and the push from our so friends the, on the other was side is that, well, was he ever treat everybody fair. He was arrested 70 times. Huh? Was he ever convicted of anything? Yeah, just a, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. Okay, so so he was not because when, when somebody says somebody's been arrested so many times, I, that's less important to me than how many times they've been convicted. Um, so like, what was he convicted of previously <sighs> before? Do you remember? Yeah. Uh, I mean, he'd been to jail before. I mean, he'd, he'd served time before, I believe. Okay. So, I mean, this isn't just, oh, he's, uh, no, I don't remember specifically, but I mean, he's, but I do, I mean, come on, you, you're 30 something years old. You've been, you got a cr- criminal history of, of, of arrest 70 something times. And, and uh, I mean, you know, this is a guy that had some mental issues as well, which is a bigger issue. We don't even have time to go into all that. We're turning our jails into the largest mental health facilities in in the country, and and that's not right. We wouldn't have a jail overcrowding problem if we just put our mental health patients somewhere else and, and not jail. But you know, this isn't the the topic for that. I mean, you know, if you just come down to the the problem that we're facing, I mean, I think all of this uh, uh, bail reform is really the tough question: is how do you process large numbers of people through our urban area jails quickly and efficiently? And we haven't found an answer to that because because well, I, I kind of disagree though. I, I kind of disagree. I kind of disagree with you. I do think okay. it is relevant uh, because if we have uh, even on your your own article about criminal justice reform in general, you, you do state you know you mentioned that and part of your criminal justice reform is on um, you know how, treating mental health patients differently and 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 putting them in mental health facilities, not jails. Um, there was a big issue about that locally in a New Orleans race for a sheriff over whether or not uh, a local. Uh, you know, uh, uh, we should be building a mental health facility versus improving the jail system or how we deal with people with mental health issues. And I think if we if we handled mental health in this country better as a whole, I think that that might, you know, and and and, 
and how, allow people to deal with their mental health issues, I think you might reduce the amount of people that that are going through the system because they haven't gotten the help that they need. Oh, I agree with you completely. I, my point was I don't know if today is the time to address okay. that issue, but I agree with you completely on that. And I, But the problem is cost. You know, we already have these jails, and at the time we started putting people in jails, you know, it, uh, mental health pay, people in, pay, in jails, we had room for them. But now we don't, and the jails are all full. But the problem we have is how do you get a mental health patient on, on their medications? That's the problem we have. We have a cycle right now. You get them in jail. You get them on their drugs. They get uh, they get under control. They 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 realize what's happened. They get out of jail. They get off their medications. They go crazy, uh, and then they do something. And they go back to jail, and we have this cycle going on and on and on, and that has to be broken. But that's a separate issue from how do we address uh, you know criminal justice reform, bail reform, because we're talking about pre-conviction incarceration. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that the proposals that we're looking at right now have just made the process or made the situation worse instead of better. And, you know, what's the old adage? The first rule of any reform is do no harm. Well, we have friends on the other side who are advocating changes that are causing a lot of harm instead of building on what's worked for over 200 years. Now, there was in my research for the show, um, <clears throat> because I was, you know, I'm coming to the show as somebody who hasn't spent his life working with bail bonds and, and on this issue. So, sure. so I had to, had to do a crash course, so to speak, on, 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 and try and find as much as possible from both sides, um, which is why I listened to the podcast on your site, why I read your, a bunch of stuff on your site. I got the Arizona thing from your site. You know, there's another, um, the universe, there was a study, I think University of Pennsylvania and George Mason um, University found that Elimination on cash bail for dozens of nonviolent offenses. Um, I think misdemeanors, except for specific like seven or specific twelve, um, they had seen that that in those specific cases uh, that there was at least I guess maybe in I don't know if it was just in Philadelphia specifically, um, but that it had that they're saying it had zero effect on court appearance rates on those lower level ones. Is that do you think that that's a, do you think that's wrong? Do you think that's an outlier? Do you think that's you know, maybe there's something that we're missing or that I'm missing from, from that quote. Uh, I, uh, I, I do. Yes. I do think that's wrong because uh, what we're seeing like in Harris County, failure to appear rates for PR bonds has skyrocketed and the failure to appear. I mean, they have over 50% of dockets failing to appear and that, you know, the problem, it, it all comes down to accountability. So if I don't show up for court and you hold me accountable, which means you revoke my bond, you take me to jail, and then uh, and then maybe you give me another chance. But you say, look, if you do not come, you, there will be consequences. I think you're going to have a different result. And I think in a lot of uh, situations where we have bail reform, that's the problem. That's what's missing. We don't have any accountability. So like in Harris County, they've even tied the judge's hands. Someone has to miss court three times before they can do anything about it. And even though the law says when you miss once, you're required to issue a warrant. So they're, they're not following Texas law and they're hurting themselves. I mean, anytime a case gets put on hold, uh, anytime someone misses court, their case is put on hold and you have to wait for them to come back, whether it's an hour, whether it's a day, whether it's two months. And it's just, it's ridiculous. I mean, look at the situation we're creating. The defendant doesn't show up. Their case is put on hold. No matter how many times they, they do it, they just, their case is put on hold. And it's, and 
But what happens if the victim doesn't show up for court one when they're requested? Well, then the defendant's case gets dismissed. I mean, it's just a ridiculous situation where we have one standard for the victims of crimes and we have another standard for the defendants. In fact, the LADA has has come out and just said, well, we have a different opinion about who the true victim is. They believe the criminals are the victims, not the people who were the of the crime that was committed. Well, the right to a fair trial in and of itself is is a right that belongs to the to the criminal, not a right that belongs to the victim, right? Well, no. The, well, the right to a trial belongs to every citizen. So you have a right, right to confront your witnesses. You have a right to trial. But yes, but I mean, we're we've set up a system where you know we could try somebody in abstention if they don't show up for court. But we don't do that. We put their case on hold. We wait for them to come back. But but then we don't give the same. Uh, uh, we don't give the same leniency to the people who have been the victim of the crime. You know, they're told to show up on this day, and if they don't, well, then the DA can't prove the case, and so the case gets dismissed. And so it's it's a stilted, one-sided system. And you know, like in LA right now, I would argue that there's nobody in the in the in the courtroom arguing for the victim because the DA is siding with the criminal. Well, they've got their own attorney now. They have two attorneys. Who's arguing for the victims in those in those cases? I don't. I would argue in L.A. nobody is right now. I mean, okay. I mean, I, I just. I, I don't. I don't. Because normally, I mean, it's the way I look at, at, at most crime thing. It's usually it's not. It's not the victim versus the, the, the. It's the state versus the person. So. So it's. But yeah. yeah I mean, but the state if, if, is there for the victim. The state's arguing for the victim for society for the victim. That's right. the only so, voice for the victim in the courtroom is the state. Yeah, and I if mean, the state and I, decides I, that they're going to side with the criminals on criminal justice reform, and that they're the real victims. Well, then nobody is in the courtroom arguing for the victim of the crime. Well, is and it is it as black is it as black sure. and white as that though? Like, is 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 can can you know can we have can we both say that somebody can be a criminal but still not be treated fairly within the system? Like they they can be both. They could be a criminal and a victim. They could be, you know, if people, you know, I think traditionally in this country, we've had situations where, you know, persons of color have gotten disproportionate sentences on, on many certain things and, and disproportionate maltreatment within the system, even before uh, their cases go to trial, you know, so, so, so people who are criminals can also be victims. And, and while there may not be, you know, on, on, you know, my friends on the other side of the aisle might not care as much as, oh, I don't care that that so-and-so isn't being treated fairly, but, I, you know, because ultimately they should have never committed their crime. That's the argument that I often hear from, from you know, my friends on the other side of the aisle. You know, still, we should still be treating people equitably within the system. And, and, and you know, it, it, same crime should have same punishment, you know, all other things being equal. And too many times there are there are things that make them not equal. And I think sometimes I think that's maybe potential, probably I think definitely what a lot of the people who who see the problem, you know, who have problems with like our cash bail system, they're probably like, look, this system is disproportionately making it harder uh, for, for on people who are poor and and people of color who you know black, indigenous, uh, for other persons of color, they they are more likely to are disproportionately poor and as such they're disproportionately be harmed but or 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 suffer or struggle to try and make bail 
or get a bail bond or or you know be able to get out and continue to work whilst waiting for their their trial date so therefore that's going to perpetuate because then they're going to be even poorer because their family can't afford that so and so it's kind of that kind of snowballs as well i think that's that's sort of you know what what they look at when they say okay well well these people are not being treated fairly it's not that they're justifying the criminal acts at least in my mind i'm not justifying the criminal acts but still it's still perpetuating you know the 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 harm that could be done and 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 you know by not being able to afford those things and not be able to afford better attorneys, not being able to afford, you know, to, to navigate themselves to the system like other people might have at the end of the day, they are going to get, you know, longer jail sentences and, 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 you know, harsher penalties. And those are going to snowball on each other and, and potentially create more career criminals because then now that's, that's what they know. That's what they are. So the system is basically expecting it out of them. And then they turn out to be what they expect it to be. So, um, no, and I'm, 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 I'm not coming down on, and I haven't necessarily come down on the yes, we should get rid of all cash bail side, or no, we can't get, we can't, you know, whatever. I, I, I see what happened, you know, with, with, you know, um, the attempt, I guess, to raise money uh, for Daryl Brooks, and I was like, yeah, that's ridiculous. There's no reason that there's no reason there. Like I even look, I was wondering why there even was a $250,000 bail or 5 million or whatever it was the second time around for Dell Brooks. Like to me, there should have been no bail, you know, at that point, because he, 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 he committed a crime, you know, he, he alleged to have committed a crime and then he goes and he's alleged to run over six people. I think at that point, yeah, no bail. But so, so, so in some cases I'm well, like, let me, yeah. Let me, make, let me make a couple of points. And I think one, the, the first point I would make is, you know, a lot of your issues about uh, that that you've raised about uh, people who are poor uh, have worse consequences, and I would just point out that a lot of the reforms that are being pushed are are intended or they're being um, offered to uh, address those arguments. And my point on that is, we just do not want to push the pendulum so far that through those policy changes, the, the, the argument that we have to do this because people are poor, we don't want to tie the hands of judges so that they can't address career criminals, uh, gang members, or people who are members of organized gangs. So that's the first thing I would say. And I think that's one of the things that we're seeing where uh, the reforms are being pushed, and they're being pushed with well-intended uh, arguments, very similar to what you're making, but the, the effect of the change is we're tying the hands of the judges so they can't even address people that you and I would agree on. We agree career criminals shouldn't be treated the same way. They should have more substantial bail. And, but we're, we're setting up a system that ties the hands of the judges in those situations. And then and the second point I would make on, on, the, on the arguments that you've made is um, we want to make sure that any system we set up satisfies the constitutional requirements. And we've had an argument for the last two years about whether bail is substantively constitutional, whether it's constitutional on its face. And we've been told that we have to change everything we're doing because bail is going to be held unconstitutional. We've now had two courts of appeals, the Fifth Circuit, yes, they're one conservative court. There's another one, I think it's the Tenth one. Tenth Court has held bail constitutional. So I think we all agree bail is substantively constitutional. So, we, you know, and then the courts, Multiple courts have held you have a right to a hearing, and it's a robust hearing, which I guess what, what would be what 
uh, what you said would be a fair hearing or an honest hearing, uh, and I, I agree with that. And then I would come back down to, uh, are there always outliers or, or are there times when we can do better? Yes. And But I'd still come down to we have the fair system in the world, and we need to build off what works, and we need to, to get rid of what doesn't. But we don't need to tie the hands of judges like we're doing right now, and that really just uh, gives a green light for crime to increase, and that's what we're saying, and we've got to stop that. Okay, and then kind of rolling back to a point that you had made earlier that I kind of wanted to – or one of the two things I wanted to end with, um, first of all being, you know, um, you know, I had, I had individually before you said it came up with the idea that, you know, you know, not necessarily saying that, that, that your, your desires here are, are, are not public safety. You know, I, I, I believe that you, you truly believe that this is for public safety. Um, uh, but you know, there are people who would probably assume again, as you mentioned before, that if, if, you know, if cash bail was ended or if people can get bail from cash bail funds and don't need bail bonds, then that would, you know, you know, again, what do you say to the to the people who might say, well, that would be bad for the people that you represent. That would be bad for your clients. That would be bad for the bail bondsman industry. And you're you being a board member of, you know, the, was it Texas, um, the board of directors of professional bondsmen of Texas? Like, you know, you, you you want bail bondsmen to be able to do their job. So, what would you say to the people who would who might suggest who might say, well, there's a that you have. I might be skeptical of, of the reasons why you might be against these things because, you know, there's, there's, so I guess, financial incentives for bail bondsmen to be able to continue to be in business. And if there's no more bail, then there's no more bail bondsmen. Well, I would say, you know, I've only been doing bail for like 20 years. I've been an attorney for 30 years. I'm, and as you pointed out earlier, I'm a very old man, or I feel like <laughs> I'm an old man if you're listening to those dates. But I would say bail's been around for 200 years. And it's been around for 200 years for a reason. And the reason is it does a good job, does one thing, it gets, does it well, gets people to court. With, you know, bail funds don't have the ability, if we bond somebody out or if they bond somebody out and they see that they're starting to use drugs again, if they see that they're going where they're not supposed to be, we have the ability in Texas to go to the court and say, court, you need to issue a warrant. You need to get little Johnny in here because he is not doing what he's supposed to be doing, and the court can do that. A bail fund cannot do that, not authorized by law to do it, because when they post a cash bond, the, the surety is the cash, not them. And so they don't have the ability. They don't have the experience. And so, yeah, they think they can replace us. Yeah, right. I mean, they've tried. I mean, you know, do you think this is the first time that criminal justice reform has tried to replace bondsmen? I mean, we are a necessary evil because we don't cost the taxpayers anything, and we have the lowest failure to appear rate of anything in use. And so you want to get your cases through the system, you use us. And I would just say we're the grease that keeps the criminal justice system moving. And if you don't want people or if you don't care if defendants show up for court, well, then, yeah, you don't need us because that's what we do. But if you care whether people show up for court, you want your cases to shorten the time from filing to getting them resolved, you need to you know, push more people or encourage more people to post uh, surety bonds. You know, you want to post a surety bond, you know, it can be a lower amount. Every state has the system or the ability to lower a bond, and that, requir- that just is another